Welcome once again to Searching the Scriptures radio broadcast. We do appreciate you tuning in again this week as we look into the Word of God, and our prayer is that you're getting some help from these Bible lessons each week. I'm Pastor Travis Alltop, and it's a privilege to have an open Bible before me today and another opportunity to expound the richness of this blessed old book. Uh, I think Christians have put the Bible on the back burner as a whole, and we have been stolen from. The devil has convinced us and many of you listening that uh, the Bible is an outdated, archaic book, but I'm telling you, it is our lifeline to heaven. This book is inspired, and more than that, it's preserved. God has superintended the words, his words, down through the years, and we still have a copy of them today. I've got it laid out here in the in front of me on the table today. And listen, this book is a light unto our path, a lamp unto our feet, and a light unto our path. It will strengthen and build faith. And Jesus Christ prayed in John 17, 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. This book will change you. It will transform you. It will change your thinking. And it is the source of absolute truth. And we thank God for it. This week we're going to be back in Acts chapter 24. And as I had an old high school teacher used to say, he'd walk in and say, Open your textbook. Let's stamp out some ignorance. Well, this preacher is going to challenge you today to open your Bible, let's stamp out some ignorance, and we want you to see what the Word of God actually says. We're going back to Acts chapter 24 and check in with the Apostle Paul again as he stands and witnesses uh, the gospel of the Lord Jesus to Governor Felix. Let's look together in our Bible, Acts chapter 24, verse 24. The Scripture says this, And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Well, we're off to a good start so far because uh, Felix is interested enough to actually listen to the preacher. And can I tell you something that you'll never get anything um, straight about salvation or about God until you're willing to listen. A man has to hear the truth before he can respond to the truth. If you don't know the truth, you can't respond to it. Before a man gets saved, he will listen. In fact, the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith cometh by hearing. Well, we're saved by faith, by grace through faith. But our faith must be in the facts, in the truth of the gospel. And so the Bible says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. A man gets saved when he actually listens. So that's the first thing I've always said and been saying lately that some men can't get saved because they won't stop talking long enough. They want to argue and object. You have to listen at some point. And here in Acts 24, Governor Felix at this point is on the right track. He sends for the preacher, in this case the Apostle Paul, and the Bible says he heard him concerning what? Well, concerning, quote, the faith in Christ. So let's see here how the greatest Christian, the greatest Christian preacher, the Apostle Paul, who wrote over half of our New Testament, let's see how he presents the gospel as it is in Christ. How does he present, quote, the faith? The Bible says we're to contend for the faith. We're to propagate the faith. We're to proclaim it. So how does Paul proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, the faith of Christ? How does he do that? Well, let's look at verse 25. The Bible says here, and as he reasoned, so the gospel is reasonable, and Paul is reasoning, and as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled. This is still good. Felix is troubled. He's trembling. He's under conviction. And that old conviction has a way of weighing in upon a man's heart. 
and getting him troubled about his condition so that he would flee from the wrath to come and so that he will run to Calvary. And here, the Apostle Paul doesn't even bring up, according to verse 25, he doesn't even bring up the death, burial, and resurrection, at least what's recorded here. Now, I'm not saying he didn't do that. I'm saying that what the Holy Ghost wanted to emphasize in Paul's presentation of the gospel, we know that everywhere he went, he preached the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But here, the Holy Ghost lets us in on something extremely important. And that is before you preach the grace of God, before you preach the good news that a Savior has died, people must be confronted with their lack of righteousness, their lack of temperance, and the fact that they're going to stand before God in judgment. Now, the modern-day message does not start where the Apostle Paul started. In fact, if Paul was alive today, he might even be rebuked by some crowds and some evangelistic associations, and they'd say, Paul, you really blew it. You, you started with all of that, uh, that, that stuff about righteousness and judgment. You need to quit being so judgmental, and rather you need to emphasize the love that God has toward Felix and the fact that Felix, uh, that God has a great plan for his life. Now, as we spoke in a previous lesson, the gospel message has been twisted and perverted just ever so slightly down through the years. And we're seeing the fruit of it in the day and age that we live. And so you say, what do you mean? Well, we've seen that the gospel over the last 50 to 70 years here in America, the shift has been very subtle. And if you're not, if you're not on your toes, you've missed it. You say, I don't understand. Well, when a man approaches a sinner, when a well-meaning Christian, I said a well-meaning Christian, approaches another sinner and says, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, the emphasis shifts ever so slightly from the glory of God and the righteousness that man lacks. That's what man needs is righteousness. And it shifts it from the glory of God and it turns it into a message that has to do with nothing more than the temporal happiness of man. Let me just say this, and I'll let you work it out in your own mind as you think about what I'm about to tell you. But Jesus Christ died to save sinners. Jesus Christ died not because men were sad, but because men were sinners. Christ did not die necessarily to because man was unhappy. Christ died because man is unrighteous. And the devil has slowly shifted the emphasis of the gospel off the righteousness of God and has twisted it and pointed it more to life enhancement. He has shifted the attention off of God and his glory and his righteousness and man's need of it, and he has shifted it to the happiness of man. That's a dangerous shift because what you have is you have a lot of people who are very, very much discouraged with Christianity, many people who are confused because they, quote, made a decision for Jesus Christ thinking that if they came to Jesus, he would solve all of their problems and their life would become one big happy vacation for the rest of their existence. When those things did not happen, they feel like they were lied to. And maybe they were. Because Christ, the Bible says, God commandeth all men everywhere now to repent. Why? Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. Do you see that? He's going to judge a righteous judgment. That judgment is coming. And Paul, when he presents the gospel, he reasoned of righteousness first and temperance. Felix lacked both. 
and yet he was going to be called into judgment on both of these issues. This would call any man in his right mind to tremble. That's called conviction. But that is the pre-work that needs to be done on a man's heart before he'll ever see the need of Calvary, before he'll ever understand the need of the love of God, the magnitude of the love of God, or the abounding grace that comes to sinners. So you say, well, preacher, I'd like to be able to present the gospel the way the apostle Paul did. Well, let me tell you something. If you're going to reason with a man of righteousness, and that's where you must begin, you must understand the law of God. Because the law of God is a great ally in our personal work. In presenting the gospel, the law of God is not our enemy. You see, as Baptists, we understand something. We know that we're not saved by works. The Bible says if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. You see, Christ was made sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God. But the law, it, it, uh, is, has a peculiar and a particular function in bringing men to Jesus Christ. So let's talk about that. First of all, the law is good if a man use it lawfully. So turn over, if you will, to Romans chapter 3. And let's see what this same man, the man who's preaching to Felix in uh, Acts chapter 24, verse 25, the same man when he was called upon to expound the faith in Christ who began with righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. Let's see what he says that the law, uh, the law's function is. Because we know that a man is not saved by the law. No man is justified by the law. However, the law has a great function. Let's look, if you will, look at Romans chapter 3. Let's begin reading in verse 19. Mark these down. The law does four things. Look at verse 19 of Romans chapter 3. Look at this. The Bible says, Now we know that what, the, what things soever the law saith. So the law speaks. It says that the law, it speaks. It saith some things. It saith to them who are under the law. Here it is, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Speaking of God's sight, the law doesn't justify. We know that. However, listen, stop with me. If you're, if you're a Baptist and you're listening, that's all you've ever learned about the law. You figured out and you know if you're a Christian, the law can't save me. But listen, the law has something to say still. It doesn't save us, but it is our ally in bringing men to Christ. How do we know? It says, for by the law... Verse 20, I'm in Romans chapter 3, verse 20. By the law is the knowledge of sin. So the law brings a knowledge of sin. The apostle Paul, the great uh, student of the word of God, he said, is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. He said, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. So you see, the Ten Commandments are wonderful. You say, why? Well, they don't save but they are God's standard of righteousness. And when you reason of righteousness, you must reason from the law of God in order for a man to see his sinfulness. Listen to me. Uh, the Bible is clear. The law has a function. First of all, I will tell you this. The law singles a sinner out because it shows him his sin. One great old preacher, this is his quote. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said it this way. He said, the trouble with people who are not seeking for a savior and for salvation is that they do not understand the nature of sin. 
It is the function of the law to bring such an understanding to a man's mind and conscience. Amen and amen. Oh, John Wesley said this, before I can preach love, mercy, and grace, I must preach sin and the law and judgment to come. In other words, those old timers like John Wesley, he believed in presenting the gospel and preaching the gospel the same way the apostle Paul did. Remember what we're talking about. Acts 24, 25 says Paul began to reason with Felix about righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. So the law will single a man out. It shows him his sin. For instance, let me give you an illustration. If you're speeding down I-75, and let's say you're doing about 88 miles an hour. Now, you're cruising along, and there's a car that's passing you slowly, but they obviously are going faster than you are. There's cars that are staying right up there with you, and the whole of traffic seems to be traveling along 85, 88 miles an hour. Now, the law says 70 miles an hour. That's the speed limit on Interstate 75. You're breaking the law. You're breaking the speed limit, and you know it. But you're comfortable because everybody's going along with you, and you can look to your left, and there's a car doing a little bit faster than you. So you say, man, they must be doing at least 90. They're kind of getting past me here. And then there's others that are going about the same speed. And you're in this big group going down the highway, and you're not afraid. That is the condition of most sinners who break the law of God. In fact, when I show people Romans chapter 3, verse 23, which says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, most people, when they read that verse, will look at me. They don't get under conviction. They don't feel condemnation from that verse. But rather, they look at me and say, Preacher, of course, nobody's perfect. I mean, that's true. I know I ain't perfect. I never claim to be perfect. Uh, and there ain't nobody perfect. But you see, they still haven't felt their need of a Savior. They still haven't felt the weight of their guilt. They still don't see their sin. They just see themselves as not being perfect, but they still consider themselves, quote, a good person. But now let's go back to our man that's on the interstate going down 75, doing about 85, 88 mile an hour. He knows he's breaking the law, but he's not too concerned about it because after all, everybody else is breaking the law with me. But let's change the scenario for just a minute. He's driving down the road, cruising along, breaking the law with everybody else. But all of a sudden, the old Kentucky State Trooper whips in behind his car and he sees the blue lights come on. Now he's concerned. Now your heart is racing. The lights are on and you're being pulled over. Now it no longer matters that society at large is breaking the law. What matters is the law has singled you out and they're pulling you over and you know what the end result's going to be. It's going to be a big fine. Well, let me tell you something. Mankind travels on uh, just in his ignorance of what's going on. He is just going down the road of life breaking the law of God, dishonoring his parents, lusting in his heart, coveting things that are not his, lying to his fellow man to try to get ahead in life, stealing when he gets an opportunity, cheating on his income tax, uh, lusting in his heart, fornicating, whoremonger, whatever it may be, he's just going along and he can always show you somebody who's living more sinful than he is, which makes him feel good. Remember, our man on the interstate was not concerned when he looked around and saw that everybody was breaking the law. But when the law of God gets behind you, and when the Kentucky State Trooper pulls behind our speeder, suddenly your heart begins to race, your palms get sweaty, and you get very extremely nervous. You begin to tremble just like Felix did in the spiritual realm. Felix trembled. Why? Because Paul began to deal with him about righteousness. How can you show righteousness while the law of God shows God's righteous standard? That is the perfect standard of righteousness, the Ten Commandments. 
And when you begin to deal with people, their conscience will raise up and single them out. And that's exactly what we need. When the law is ignored, sin is rampant. But when the law shows up, it begins to reprove men and remind them of their sin and show them that they're in trouble with God. Paul said, I had not known sin, but by the law. I'm telling you, we need a resurrection of law preaching in this country in Baptist pulpits. While we sing that great old song at Calvary in the second stanza, what does it say? It says, by God's word at last, my sin I learned? Absolutely. How did he learn his sin? Well, according to William Newell, the great old preacher and this songwriter of this old classic hymn at Calvary, William Newell says, by God's word at last, my sin I learned. Then I trembled at the law I'd spurned. So a man has to learn about his sin because his conscience is dead and you've got to awaken his conscience. And the law does just that. It awakens a man and shows him his sin. You realize when you walk into a living room and uh, you're standing around, many times you can wipe off a table on the surface. You could take a pledge wipe, wipe across an oak table in a dimly lit room, and you know what? It says, hey, that's clean. That looks pretty good. And to the naked eye, as you stand in a dimly lit room, you say, yeah, this is a clean table. But I won't tell you what, when the sun comes up in the morning, morning, pull the curtains back and let that sun shine in on that table. And you know what you're going to see in the light of the sun? You're going to see dust particles floating everywhere and you're going to see smears on that table and what you thought was a clean table turns out to be dusty after all but what had to shine upon it the sun had to shine upon it you know what the uh, law is called in proverbs it's called a light and a lamp and the light of the law will shine into men's consciences and into their hearts and show them and single them out and that's exactly what we need. We need some, we need preachers and Christians using the law lawfully. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 8 that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Well, the first function of the law is to single out sinners. Secondly, that law, if it's presented properly, will also silence the sinner. Singles them out and silences them. Look back in Romans chapter 3, look at verse 19. The law, what it has to say, it says that every mouth, look at it with me, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped. And can I tell you, you cannot overestimate the value of a man's mouth being stopped. Do you know why some men cannot be justified by God? It's not that God is not willing to justify. It's that they will not stop talking long enough for God to justify him. Because as long as a man is excusing his sin and arguing about how what a, quote, great person he is, he hasn't stopped his arguments yet. He is still trying to justify himself. The classic example of this is found in Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus Christ deals with a lawyer. The lawyer stood and was tempting the Lord Jesus. And he asked a question. He asked him, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And the Lord answered him, and he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And so he goes on to say, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor is thyself. So he gave the right answer. 
And he said unto him, Jesus answers this lawyer, Thou has answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. Verse 29, But he, watch it, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? So he kept talking. He was given the answer that he was looking for. Jesus told him, okay, that's what you got to do. You've read it right. Do this and you'll live. And the lawyer, the Bible says, willing to justify himself. And my friend, as long as sinners continue to talk and excuse and justify themselves, God will not justify them through his free grace. You say, what are you saying? The law comes in. And you know what the law does? It puts a stop to all this foolishness. Now, you know what the scripture tells us in Proverbs chapter 20? Back there in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6, do you know what the Bible says? It says these words. It says, most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. In other words, you talk to the average sinner whose conscience has not been awakened by the law of God, and you begin to talk about heaven, and you begin to talk about hell and judgment, most men will tell you that they're good people. I remember many years ago being asked to go visit a man who was in the county jail. And uh, I didn't know this man, but a relative of his called me up and said, look, I got a, a cousin. He's been held over at such and such jail. He's unsaved. Uh, he went to jail. He had beat up a little kid, a little toddler. Uh, he's a drug addict, just a mess. And so I went in and, and called for this man and, and went in and sat down in the visitation room. And, of course, uh, he came in a little bit later and sat down, and we picked up the telephone. We're talking through the glass there at the county jail. I introduced myself, told him why I was there. I said, I'm a preacher, and you got a, a relative that knows me and want me to come visit you. I said, how you doing? He said, I'm not doing too bad. You know, I'll, I'll be all right. And, of course, he doesn't know. I know why he's there. He's got a drug problem. He's, he's uh, assaulted and abused a child. And this guy's sitting there, you know, and... We start talking, and I ask him if he knew anything about God. Did he know anything about the gospel? And he said, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not a, I don't go to church. He started talking about, I know I need to get back in church. I need to start going to church, you know. So he starts talking real religious. And so I just asked him, I said, well, let me ask you something. I said, uh, do you think you're a pretty good person? He said, yeah, I, I mean, I think I'm a pretty good person. I mean, I ain't killed nobody. Now, isn't that amazing? Here's a man still talking and telling me that he's a pretty good person, and he doesn't even stop to consider why he's sitting talking to me through the glass at the county jail. Now, what's my point in, in pointing this out? My point is this. He does never stop to consider just how wicked and how sinful he actually is. He says, you know, I'm, I'm really a good person. You know, I'm, I'm not that bad of a person. Uh, according to what? According to their own standard. And you know what? When a man is still justifying himself and saying, well, I'm pretty good. I'm not that bad. That man needs to be brought face to face with his multiplied breaches of God's law. When a man quits excusing his sin, that's the man that's just about ready to step in uh, to salvation through Jesus Christ. But as long as a man is still talking, he is not going to get saved. But that law has a way of silencing the mouth. Every mouth is stopped under the law. Because who's going to look at you and say, well, I thought it was right to steal. I thought it was right to lie. I thought it was okay to covet and lust after my neighbor's wife. I thought it was okay to commit adultery. I thought it was okay to kill somebody. I thought it was okay. No, they're not going to say that. The law is written in men's conscience. 
a certain amount of that law and that righteous standard, it's written in their conscience, and their conscience will rise up and convict them every time and stop their arguments. And that's what we want. The third thing the law does is it sentences a man. In verse 19, not only that every mouth may be stopped, but that all the world may become guilty before God. Boy, that's guilt. you got to have that guilt before a man will see his need. Most men will proclaim everyone their own goodness, but the law will raise up and stop their excuses. The law raises up when you begin to expound those Ten Commandments, and that law will put an end to their innocence. It wasn't too long ago I was witnessing to a man, and after three commandments, he had told me he was a pretty good person, tried to be. After just going through three commandments, his conscience was wide awake, and he said, Preacher, I'm batting zero. And I said, Yes, you are. Another person looked at me, and when I said, well, so far, I said, you've admitted to being a blaspheming, adulterer at heart, a liar, and a thief. This man, I'd ask him about four commandments. I asked him about the third, the seventh, the eighth, and the ninth commandment, which he readily admitted he had broken. I said, in the day of judgment, will you be guilty or innocent? He said, I'd be guilty. I said, where do guilty people go? He said, well, they can't go to heaven. I said, where do they go then? And he looked at me and said, am I going to hell? And I said, yes, in the condition you are, you're going to hell. What's that law do? It has a specific function. Paul knew it. Paul wrote about it. Look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. We will close today's lesson with this great truth. All of those things are designed to do something. When the law singles a man out, when a law stops his mouth and silences that man, when the law sentences him as guilty, and he realizes that when he stands in judgment, you remember what Felix did? When Paul reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled. My Christian friend, my preacher friends that are listening, listen, that's exactly what we want to happen. We want God to open their heart to the great danger that sinners are in, and the law does just that. And you know what that will do according to Galatians chapter 3, verse 24? Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster. A schoolmaster teaches us. The law was our schoolmaster, according to Galatians 3.24, to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. The law will whip a man down, break a man down, beat a man until he submits to the truth of it. And you know what he'll do? He will flee to Calvary at that point. D.L. Moody says this, God, being a perfect God, has to give a perfect law. And the law was given not to save men, but to measure them. He goes this. He says this. I'm talking, this is a quote of D.L. Moody, the great evangelist from the 1800s. He says, I want you to understand this clearly, because I believe hundreds and thousands stumble at this point. They try to save themselves by trying to keep the law. But it was never meant for men to save themselves. Ask why, Paul why the law was given, and here is his answer. That every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. The law stops every man's mouth, and I can always tell who is near the kingdom of God because his mouth is stopped. And to that I say to D.L. Moody, amen and amen. He says this, this then is why God gives the law to show us ourselves in our true colors. And that's exactly why the law was given. It'll school men to flee to Jesus Christ. And listen, Felix trembled because he knew when he stood in judgment, if he was judged by God's righteous standard of the law, he would be found guilty, guilty, guilty. 
If a man keep the whole law, James 2.10 says, if a man keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. This is why Jesus Christ died. God committed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. But my friend, Christ died with your sins in his own body. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree. And God made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We as sinners have no righteousness of ourselves, and the law proves that. Soul winner, use the law. It's an ally. It's a great friend to servants of the Lord, to show men their sin, to silence their excuses, to sentence them as guilty, and to school them to flee to Jesus Christ. May God help us to understand the lawful use of the law. It'll make grace amazing again. May God help you to understand these things and use it in your presentation of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Until next week, may the Lord bless you as you serve him.